Welcome back to another episode of Embedded Insiders. I'm Laura Dolan, and I'm here with my colleagues, Rich Nass, Brandon Lewis, and Alex Polk. How are you guys doing today? Doing well. You said you? welcome back. You're, you're assuming people have been here before? <laughs> the loyal listeners. Yes, there's a lot of them. <laughs> the throngs. Okay. All right. Just want to be sure. Well, guys, if, unless you've been underneath a rock or something, you're probably aware that there have been a lot of, uh, there's been a massive trade war going on between the United States and China. And that's obviously had some implications on the electronics industry. In fact, a little over a month ago, I was out at Computex in Taipei. And it's interesting to see a lot of the uh, Taiwanese electronics manufacturers and components vendors bringing a lot of the manufacturing back from China to Taiwan, which is traditionally more of a R&D and innovation research type center um, for APAC. Um, so a lot of that manufacturing, now, manufacturing is now being brought back to Taiwan to avoid tariffs and other potential fallout. What have you guys heard on uh, the trade war and how it's affecting our space? Well, do they actually say that when, when you have those conversations? Did they say that's why they're moving to Taiwan, yeah. or, or did they come up with some BS marketing reason? No, several, several companies that I spoke with actually said this is exactly why we're moving manufacturing back to Taiwan. But that's kind of weird because, you know, this is, this is a Trump thing, and it has to get settled eventually, it, it, and it, it'll be settled sooner rather than later. Is, is, is it worth spending – what could be tens of million dollars to move your manufacturing? I don't know. Why don't we ask somebody who uh, may know a little bit more about this than us? I agree. Um, let's uh, turn it over to our expert on the line. We have Alex Lido with us. He's the CEO of Efficient Power Conversion, and he's going to be discussing uh, the trade world with China and how much of an impact it is having on the electronics marketplace. How you doing, Alex? Hey, I'm doing great. Good. And listeners, we're going to have to make a distinction because Alex Halt is here. So mm -hmm. Alex Halt, our uh, European editor uh, and senior tech uh, uh, correspondent, is Alex with an I. So Alex Lido is Alex with an E. So if you hear that, just be forewarned. Um, but there Alex, we go. <laughs> Alex, Alex with an E, um, can you give us a little bit of your, of your background and history um, in dealing with matters such as this, I know that you've had a, 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 a breadth of experience working with governments and industry alike. Yeah, so I've been in the uh, power semiconductor industry for over 40 years, and uh, you know, particularly with trade, uh, for those who even were alive 42 years ago, you may remember that in the 80s there was a big trade issue with Japan. Uh, not unlike what we're seeing with China in many ways. And uh, I got very involved uh, through the Semiconductor Industry Association and was one of the uh, lead trade negotiators uh, during the 80s on semiconductor issues with the United States Trade Representative and the Department of Commerce. Through that period of time, there were uh, disputes over unfair trade practices on DRAMs, on semiconductors in general. And the culmination of it was the U.S.-Japan Trade Accord 1986, uh, which I helped negotiate uh, and uh, then went. I stayed on through the enforcement in 1988. So uh, I, I, I kind of lived through that, that period of time, uh, the pluses and minuses, and now I'm seeing, you know, with China, there are both similarities and, and significant differences. So um, as far as some of the uh, similarities, what do you see happening um, now with our current relation, the United States' current relationship with China, and, and what happened uh, back in the 80s uh, with Japan? 
So, you know, in, in the 80s, whether it be cars or semiconductors uh, or steel or bicycles, you know, Japan was this unstoppable force uh, in everybody's mind in the U.S. They were just uh, unbelievable manufacturers, and there was also an underlying sense that it was a, a government industry cabal that was not only creating an artificially low cost of capital, and therefore an artificially low uh, risk to expand for Japanese companies. But there was also uh, an effort to exclude foreign companies from selling inside Japan. Uh, and, and therefore, U.S. companies were frustrated at never having access to that market. Uh, today in China, uh, I think that there is a sense that there is a, uh, a huge subsidization of target industries by the Chinese government. I think that's true. Uh, I think that they have targeted the semiconductor industry as a critical industry for them to, uh, and, and this is public policy, they want to go from a 5% indigenous market share of semiconductor components to 20% indigenous market share over the uh, what's now, I think, about four more years to that plan. So they're, they're pumping more than $100 billion just into making their semiconductor industry bigger, uh, which is more overt than the Japanese did in the um, 80s, but also you know, pretty large in magnitude. Okay, Alex, would you put this into perspective that I can understand? If you're shipping products, what does it actually cost? When they say there's, there's a tariff on products, how much are we talking about? And how does, how does it work? How do you pay? Who pays? Is it you? Is it your customer? Is it the consumer? Where does all this lie? And, and how much actual dollars are we talking about? So this is, the, this is the strange part of it. We manufacture all our products in Taiwan. Very few U.S. semiconductor companies manufacture in the U.S. From Taiwan to China, there's no tariff. So there's no tariff. But what is happening is the Chinese government is funding companies to very rapidly start up competitive product lines, competitive to us and competitive to a bunch of other U.S. companies, so that they will become less dependent. But this thing about tariffs is, is not the issue with semiconductors. It's more this huge influx of Chinese uh, subsidization of uh, growth in their semiconductor industry as a direct replacement for U.S. parts. That also brings in a lot of questions of IP theft, of industrial espionage, uh, and, and things like that. Um, how much jockeying are you seeing in the industry you know, for companies who say, well, I'm already outside of the danger zone. Let me see what I can do to change. I mean, are there other non-Asian manufacturers that are jumping into this as an opportunistic uh, situation? Um, I think that, that there are a lot of companies that are jumping in to backfill uh, the U.S.'s bad relationship with China. I think that from our own perspective, I've been doing business in China for 30 years. And at EPC, since we started, we recognized China was probably our largest single market, with Asia being by far the largest uh, market in general. Uh, and we've developed relationships for years uh, that really date back 20, 30 years. Um, and those folks are maybe a little bit more open uh, as a result. And what we're hearing fairly consistently is uh, the U.S. is now 
viewed as unreliable trade partners. And that includes me. I am an unreliable trade partner in China, even though I've been a reliable person with these relationships for most of their lives. And that you don't, you, you can lose uh, the reputation for reliability in a minute. It takes you years and decades to get it back. That's the real issue, I think. The uh, the damage that has to be the, the connections that have to be reconnected, rebuilt. All of the uh, infrastructure has to be reassembled. Well, it's it's even more than that. Um, the it was it was most succinctly said to me by by a Chinese friend of mine who said that up until now uh, Chinese uh, companies and people believed that the the process of democracy in the U.S. was greater than any individual. Now they believe that any individual is greater than the process, and therefore the U.S. is an unreliable trade partner forevermore because they don't know what the next individual will bring. Wow. Well, how do you uh, un- how do you unwind that? You can't unwind that. Right. Exactly. But I think I'm going to ask a question that, that Rich kind of asked, but try and ask it in a different way. You know, who's who's paying the cost? Who's going to hurt the most um, from from these? policies uh, that are affecting uh, trade across the across the Pacific? So, you know, when people ask that, I think that there's a short-term and a long-term answer. Um, I think in the short term, uh, probably individual Chinese companies will, will be hurt. Uh, I think that, you know, they'll have supply chain issues. I think that, you know, we've certainly seen that with Huawei um, being put on the entity list, uh, ZTE before them. So you have uh, a short-term harm, which I think is gratifying to the current administration. Um, But I think that the long-term damage by far uh, is uh, with the U.S. That uh, uh, unless we do something different in this trade war, we will be an unreliable trade partner. China will develop an indigenous supply and also get plenty of parts from semiconductors I'm talking about, plenty of semiconductors from Taiwan because Taiwan makes more than the U.S. Uh, and um, we'll become marginalized. Wow. So I think the elephant in the room here is, is Huawei. You know, that's how this whole thing started. Um, is, is there another big player out there that might be falling after that? So I think that, that we have to separate issues because I do think that both ZTE before it and Huawei and uh, as well as DJI now, they fall into the category of bad actors uh, in terms of, uh, you know, cybersecurity and things like that. Then there's the general China trade war, which I think is uh, has a, a an undercurrent of bad actors. In other words, one of the issues is their respect for intellectual property. But another issue is the trade imbalance. Uh, and with this administration, trade imbalance is a very key thing, and it's viewed in, in the single dimension of dollars uh, flow in both directions and what's the net. Uh, that is a very poor metric, if you ask me. But in terms of the um, the bad actors with cybersecurity, I think that we need to do something about that. So there are maybe ways of dealing with that uh, as opposed to just slapping tariffs on there or putting people on entity lists. And those companies are right now on in the spotlight on cybersecurity and are being, being shot at by the U.S. 
with these these things like uh, entity list, putting them on the entity list, uh, and you know basically keeping U.S. companies from even shipping the product. All right, Alex with an E. Um, I have one final question. Um, so since we started off talking about manufacturing, what happens to manufacturing from an American perspective? Are we looking at this being shifted more to places like Taiwan or elsewhere in Southeast Asia, or are we going to make America great again and bring all this manufacturing back to the States? What do you think? So I think that manufacturing is not really the the issue. Manufacturing has already left, and it's not coming back right. in the current industries. I don't think you can unwind the clock in the steel industry or in the car industry. And, and frankly, you can't unwind the clock in the uh, semiconductor industry either. Uh, so we need to be looking forward. What are the industries going forward that, are, uh, that, that we'll reinvent? If you think about semiconductors, they were really the thing of the 80s. Uh, and then in the 90s, it became the Internet, an, another fairly uniquely American uh, invention. And, and then there came social media, and now it's shared economy. And all these are great industries that create millions and millions of jobs. Some are good jobs, some are not good jobs, but every industry is like that. So I think that we just need to keep moving forward and rather than trying to hold on unprofitably and unproductively to the past. Good stuff. Great. Thank you so much. If you'd like to learn more about efficient power conversion and their involvement, um, you can go to their website at epc.co.com. Alex with an E, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us today. Yeah, thanks a lot, Alex. Really good stuff there. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks.